0: Thank you for joining the Relief from Grief podcast by Mrs. Miriam Ribiat and Lom Lomdei Mishnah. Our goal is to help you find the chizot you may need and the comfort of knowing that you are not alone. To sponsor an episode, visit hevralomdei mishnah.org forward slash podcast and bring comfort to listeners like you. Today's
1: podcast is sponsored by Ilan Shmaspego Reza Basparach Shalom. We do offer sponsorship opportunities. You can contact me directly and maybe at at www.chavolamdimishna.org or you go to our website, www.chavolamdimishna.org. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for joining me here today on the Relief from Grief podcast. Today, I am very happy to be hosting Mrs. Erica Needleman, who is a life coach and comes with a very interesting perspective and experience with her own losses. So thank you so, so much for coming on.
2: Thank you for having me. I'm so I don't know. I don't know if I'm happy to be here because, <laughs> and like, if, and that what right. we're talking about is, is a difficult subject. But I'm so I'm really so happy to know you and to be talking about this really important topic. I'm so glad you're offering this to people yes. who are going through these things. So
1: people are really like you know gaining from it. I, I really I feel grateful to Hashem for giving me this opportunity because I never. Would have imagined that this is what I would be doing.
2: So. Right? Yeah, it's incredible. And it's clearly filling a need. I saw that you got past 10,000 downloads, which is so incredible. So clearly, what you're saying is, you know, needs to be heard. So thank you so much.
1: <laughs> okay, so why don't you tell us a little bit? I don't know if you want to first speak a little bit about what you do, and then your own experience with loss. And you could go from
2: there. Of course. So so I am what I call an adulting life coach. There's this idea of adulting in the world of doing things that adults do, but not feeling like an adult. So you can have a job, you can have a car, you can have a house, but you feel like you're kind of playing dress up. And I believe that the root of that is that we are not emotionally adults. So really I'm not necessarily an adulting life coach, but I really focus on helping people emotionally feel like adults. So learning to process emotions in a healthy way, learning to deal with conflict in relationships, learning to, you know, have a growth mindset, learning to understand our brains and what's happening in our brains. And if our inner monologue is beating us up all day, changing that inner monologue and really creating something that is more positive and more growth oriented, that gives you more of a possibility of living a life that you love. So that's what I do. And I am here because I lost my father and my father-in-law about three years of each other. I am now in my, I'm going to call them my mid thirties, basically till I'm like 39, I'm going to be in my mid thirties. So when I was quite young, My father-in-law passed away. I was seven months pregnant with my third child. And then just about three years later, my father passed away when I was pregnant with our fourth child. Mm -hmm. So I came to share about that as well as to talk about being the spouse of someone who is going through a grieving process because I have been on both sides of that. And also with my coaching and all of those things, I definitely think that I have some ideas to help those who are in relationship, not even just a spouse, but just in relationships that are close with people who are grieving.
1: Wow. So let me ask you like this first, your father-in-law, when he was nifter, did you like, did you have a close relationship
2: with him? So we were very close. I adored him. We had moved to Atlanta pretty, I think just within the year. And he had just, Gone through retirement and had bought a home and was starting to travel and was like very excited about this part of his life. And he was just the most incredible, devoted, loving father in law. And I, I really did not take it for granted, Baruch Hashem. I felt very close to him. Like I felt so supported and loved. And he was just one of those people who he came and he said, What can I do? You want, like, And I said, let's put up art. And he'd get out the hammer and get out the nails and make it beautiful. And he was very crafty. He was very capable. Um, he was just an incredible human being, all in all.
1: So besides having to support your husband, you had your own grief to deal with also.
2: I did. I. It was really wild because when we got the news, this was a very sudden death. We were so shocked by it. I was so shocked by it. My husband, who it was his father, had to put the kids to sleep. Like I couldn't function. I just completely shut down. I was just blown away by him that he like read to the kids and he sat with them. And I just remember being in this complete and utter state of shock and feeling like the floor had just dropped out from under me.
1: Wow. Wow. So what ended up happening? I guess after the Levaya and the Shivan, you know, life had to go back to normal, but it wasn't normal anymore. What's it like to support a spouse that's really grieving?
2: Right. I think like, as I've been thinking about coming on this podcast, like that's really, I think, been the thing that I've been contemplating the most is, you know, what is your job when you're the spouse? Because I think at least I have a tendency to want to fix I have a tendency to want to fix a situation to make it better, to make someone smile, to make someone happy, to make them forget their troubles. That's kind of where my strength lies really in a lot of, and the like I am, I'm like the person people call to get cheered up and to put on a brave smile and move forward and all those things. But when it's grief... And really a lot of other things, right? So like that, you know, it might be my go-to, it doesn't mean that's the right thing to do, but definitely my go-to is to try to fix and try to make better and all those things is with grief, that's not what we need. Right? So... I actually have, I learned later something from my Rebetzin, Miriam Feldman, and I think it really applies to this. When my, so my mother, unfortunately had cancer, Bar-Hashem. she's in remission and should continue. But when she had cancer, I went to her and I was just such a wreck. And I was like, what do I do? What do I do here? Like, you know, what's my job, right? And she, like she said, that's, she said, that's really the key. We have to figure out what is your job here. And so we came to the conclusion that I couldn't be my mother's doctor. I couldn't fix her. I couldn't, you know, like tell her what to do. My job was to love and support her. And so if she asked me to do something or if I saw that there was an opening, I would ask myself, is this something that someone who loves and supports someone does? And if it was yes, that was my job. And if it was no, it wasn't my job. Right. Mm -hmm. And having that clarity of purpose was very, very helpful to me in that very stressful time. And I think it also can be that with grief, right? With grief, when someone that you love so much is going through something that's so deeply painful, your job is to figure out what your job is. Your job is to say, right, to them, what can I do for you? how can I support you through this time? Because I can't make it better and I can't make it go faster and I cannot, you know, bring them back. So what can I do? What is my job? And when we have a job, we can do that job really well and not feel guilt or shame or overwhelmed from not being able to do all of this stuff. That is not our job, right?
1: What was, what was your job? <laughs>
2: So my job with my husband really was giving him love and support and space.
1: And how did you know when he needed the love and support and when he needed the space?
2: Right. You know, that is, you know, I definitely don't think I did it perfectly and I don't think anyone does, but I think the more that you can communicate and the more that you can just be open and available without the pressure and without you know the fear and like the underlying when are you going to be done with this when can we move on when can we have our life back right and that's very hard because we had little kids i was 7 months pregnant like it was insane it was an insane time in our lives and one of the things that i did was we found out the gender of the baby because i looked at my husband and i said what do you think because you like with our two girls before we had not found out and we loved the surprise and I- should we do and he said I need to know. I need to be prepared. Like this is enough of a surprise for the rest of my life. I need to know like are we going to be naming this baby after my father? Like what's going on? And so I literally like drove over to my OB's house and we found out. Like <laughs> like I that night. Atlanta, I don't know. <laughs> only in Atlanta. Oh my gosh, Dr. Tate is the most amazing person on the planet. So but anyway, so that's like, you know, I literally called my OB and I was like, hi, I need to know the gender of this baby. <laughs> He's like, come on over. So, yeah, Baruch Hashem, very, very special. But that was something that, like, I wouldn't have done. I love the surprise. I love, oh, like, having that, you know, at birth. But I said, this is what you need to do. Another thing that my husband did, you know, everyone has their thing. My husband, like his grieving process, he was making fires all the time. He like turned into a Boy Scout. He like went and collected wood and made fires in the fireplace. And that was like his catharsis, right? That's something he had never done before. And then it just became his thing
1: right he still
2: does um, he actually still does when he's stressed he will make fires like it's such an amazing interesting thing like that you know everyone has their soothing thank god like his was a healthy self soothing and sometimes it's unhealthy self soothing that happens and it also makes sense right and i think what was also very important for me was taking care of myself right? That like when you are dealing with someone who is not able to show up in the capacity that they are generally able to show up, that like I took on more self-care for myself to balance out what he wasn't able to give me in that time.
1: You have to be really intuitive into yourself to like really
2: grasp that. Right. I mean, I just realized that like I was drowning you know, because I had to deal with my own emotions. I had to deal with my own grief. I, you know, we had a lot of little kids, life was crazy, but I just said to myself, like, you know, this needs to take a front seat because since he's not available in the same way he usually is, and I need to give him the space to not be available in that same way. Then, right. So it was like one of those things where like in the moment when his father was nifter, we found out like that, you know, I shut down, he activated but as time went on it the roles really reversed where he like really went through a tremendous amount of pain and you know like just he went through a lot and i'm sure it's been said many times on this podcast that grief is not linear you know it is it comes in waves and when it comes in waves when grief comes in waves you don't know when it's going to hit you and you can't be prepared for it and you also have to allow that to be what it is and not to resist it because they say even like literally with waves that if you try to resist the wave, that's how people drown. But if they allow themselves to completely release and let go of control and allow the wave to take them, then they can come back on the other side. And that's like, that's when you get saved from these like very scary situations in the actual water. And that's the same thing with our feelings, with our emotions that when we allow ourselves to feel our emotions, when we allow ourselves to deal with the emotion as it comes and not to try to re- react to it or resist it, then we have really an opportunity to feel it deeply and then hopefully move forward on the other side.
1: It's interesting because just last night I was talking with a friend and she calls me up and she says to me, what should I do? Or what book should I buy? I wrote a few books. Maybe she was asking me about which book to buy for her sister-in-law. Both her in-laws died very close together. Mm. Her mother-in-law, like, I think less than two years ago. And then her father just a few weeks ago. So, like, they were both young. And this sister-in-law, the youngest of them, is really having a hard time. And she's just just not coping. And what what could I buy for her? So we spoke about the books that I wrote, Comfort, Courage, and Clarity. And I wish someone would have told me. And which one, you know, she might find more helpful. And then I said to her, but, you know, you can't fix it. And she was like, "What?" I'm like, <laughs> yes. you have to let her go through the process. She's like, but yeah. what does it mean? I'm like, you have to let her cry. You have to let her feel the pain. You have to let her not mix up for some nights. You have to let her just not function if that's what she needs. It's the only way. And she was like, she didn't know what to say. Like, it, it was like, oh, well, can I buy her a book? Like. <laughs>
2: Exactly. Exactly. We want to fix the buying the books, the like getting them a gym membership, the you know, like whatever it is that we're doing. We have to recognize. I mean, I find especially women, but also men. It's really both. We just want to fix the situation. We want to make it better. And with grief, especially more than anything else, truthfully, in all things, like my whole coaching practice is about how all that we have control over is ourselves, right? So whenever we try to fix, it's always a disaster, right? So when we're trying to fix someone else, when we, we can definitely do a lot of work on ourselves, but we cannot fix other people. So as soon as you said that before you even like got to the punchline, I was like, oh, she wanted to buy her book because she wanted to fix, she wanted (laughs) to fix her. And that's it. And when we recognize that we want to fix it, then we can say, oh, this is me trying to have control over an uncontrollable situation. It's like trying to control the waves. I cannot make them less. I cannot make them more. I cannot make them stop. I cannot make them go. They need to be here. And the only thing that I can do is like be here to hold you.
1: Do you think that if a person like knows where their motive is coming from, then they could do it? Like, if you're buying the book to try to fix, then don't buy it. But if you're buying the book because you care and you want to show support, then buy it. Does that make sense?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think that intention has a, like, people know what the intention is. If you're buying a book to fix someone, they know. (laughs) They will not pick it up. (laughs) They are not going to pick up that book. Right. And at the same time, if you come bringing the book and saying, I know this is, feels unfixable and overwhelming and like, it's too much. And I don't even know if this will help or not, but I wanted you to see that you're not alone.
1: Right. Right.
2: And like, I think that's the biggest thing is that when we lose people, we feel so alone. Right. And so when we can be there to love someone and to support them and to connect with them and when they're available to be connected to not to push ourselves on them, but just to say, Hey, what can I do? If it's nothing, that's fine. Do you want me to sit here? Do you want me to not sit here? I know I can't fix it. I know I can't make it better, but I want you to know that I'm here and I support you and I love you. Right. That's, that's all that we can do, but that's also so much. It's so much because then the person feels less alone. Right. Right.
1: What about the, I don't know if you, does your husband have siblings and a mother?
2: He does. Yes. He has two siblings and he has a mother. His parents were divorced, but very amicably so much so that they used to babysit together. Like they were very incredible people. I was blown away by their divorce and like what divorce meant in their family versus other families. (laughs) But I think also we live in Atlanta. His family is in New Jersey and in Chicago. And so we didn't really get like, he didn't get so much time to, to mourn with them. And also we mourned differently because we are the only from ones in both of our families. So it was, it was definitely a very different way of mourning, you know, with my husband and people coming to be Menachem Aval on one side of the house. And then people kind of like eating and schmoozing on the other side. It was like this very stark wow. divide.
1: Wow. Wow.
2: And he said Kaddish for his father, even though he's the youngest. And I mean, it was, he took on a tremendous responsibility in that. And it was a very intense year. I remember I bought myself two Kate Spade bags at the end of the year. (laughs) I was like, I just went through (laughs) so much. I'm buying, like, that was my self-care. I'm buying myself these bags. I did, I'm sure I did other things, but I literally remember that feeling when I pressed like on that purchase I was just like, I have been through the ringer. I am getting myself two nice bags. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so, funny. right. So that was my father in law, and then it was crazy because my father in law was young. He was in his sixties. So, to my husband, he was immortal. There was just no question or option of him being of of him dying. Like it was just not something that was anywhere near possible. And I kept saying like, it should have been my dad. My dad was in his eighties. I was born when he was in his fifties and it was just the most confusing thing in the world because my father was slowing down and he was having a hard time, but he was, you know, he was still around and he was still with it. And I just was, it was kind of mind blowing because to me, my father had always been very mortal because he had always been older than all of my friends' parents. So I had kind of had this expectation for me, but it was so out of the blue for my husband. I think it just threw both of us deeply. Wow.
1: Wow. So what happened when your father was Nifter?
2: Right. So I must say that. I had a very different experience, I believe, because of what happened with my father-in-law. And I appreciated the experience so deeply because of what we had been through with him. My father was in kidney failure. And so he had a very slow, long descent. He moved to Atlanta with my mom to go to assisted living. I think maybe like one or two years after my father-in-law was nifter. And he was in health wise, he seemed fine, but he had signs of dementia. And so it wasn't safe for him to be home. So I, when my parents moved here, I asked my husband, I said, can I quit my job now? (laughs) Like I had, I had a little baby. I had a father who was going to be in assisted living. My mother had just moved them across the country and was going through so much. And I'm an only child. And so I said, I think, like, I've got my hands full now. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so my husband... Baruch Hashem was amazing and said, yes, we can make it. We're going to figure it out. And Baruch Hashem, we really, we were able to do that. And I was able to be home mm-hmm. and I was able to, you know, go and be with my father two to three times a week and bring my son um, who was named after his Zaydi, Who So zaidi is the, my father-in-law and his name was Chaim Sadiq that was a whole other thing was the fact that we named our child Chaim Sadek. And of all names you ever name a child, Sadek is like a really, really chutzpahedic name to name a child. But we asked for David Cohen and he said, yes. And I was like, okay, here we go. So anyway, so Chaim Sadek and I went to go visit Saba and they became very close and it was very special. And I, you know, I was bringing my kids as much as I could and we'd have ice cream parties and we'd have all of those different kinds of things. So my kids, Baruch Hashem, got to have a very close relationship with my dad, who was Saba, and he he literally called. And even though he wasn't religious and didn't you know, observe a lot of things every Thursday or Friday, he'd call, am I coming for Shabbos? I want to come for Shabbos. And he always was just so excited, and he'd come and he'd stay with us. It was a very special time, and I really soaked it up because I recognized how lucky, how blessed I was right, to have my father there and to have the time. So I believe that because of what happened before with my father-in-law, I took that time with my father so much more seriously and so much more deeply than I would have before. And it was, it was a very slow, steady descent. So we did have more time and it was very painful in its own way. But because of what I had experienced, I just, I think I was much more resilient and much more grateful and I wasn't as miserable, right? Like I didn't go into the misery as much as the gratitude. And that's also something that I talk about with coaching is that you tell your story the way that you think is the story, right? So I could have been thinking, oh my gosh, another parent is dying. Like Hashem has forgotten me or no one cares, or this is horrible. And like, and I really, are Hashem, focused on, I am so grateful. My father is here. I'm able to be with him. I don't have to work. I have so much going for me in this. And yes, this has to happen. And it's very painful and it's very sad, But at the same time, it is such a bracha in so many ways. And I think focusing on that really made such a difference for me and for my family.
1: Did your husband, was he able to also appreciate your father
2: more? I think so. I think so. Or was he jealous? I don't think he was jealous. I think that's a great question. I'll have to ask him about that. But I think what. I, they're very different people. My father wasn't able to help us. My father wasn't able to support us. Like We were parenting him. <laughs> like We were taking care of him. We were helping him get dressed. We were helping him get out. It was such a different dynamic that I don't think there could have been any jealousy in it. I think my husband was just sad. You know, and Baruch Hashem, he had a really great relationship with his father. It hadn't always been, but they had made peace. Like, call and when my husband was in college, and they had really begun a very beautiful relationship. And my husband was so grateful. Like, he had just gone Thanksgiving time to be, go be with his family right before his father was nifter. Like, he felt like he had said everything, he had done anything. He was so grateful to have that mm-hmm. as some sort of closure. But with my father, I think. You know, he just tried to love him and take care of him. And like we joked, my father, you know, was like a feisty old man and he loves telling like ridiculous jokes and like we would be like rolling our eyes and then he would just say like the sweetest, most wonderful, beautiful, kind, caring thing in the world. And we were just like, what just happened? (laughs) And he did that to my husband all the time. So he was constantly catching my husband off guard. And like how he would just start felling and I love my grandchildren and I love you and I love being here and I love your home. And and so I think my husband got got a lot out of that in, in his own way. And, and then, So my husband said Kaddish for my father. So my husband worked really hard. He was, you know, mm-hmm. Shacharisman Homarev. I mean, it was for a guy in his 30s to do it, to be doing that, you know three times a day every day
1: for the second time in such a short period
2: yes it's a very big job it's a very big job mm-hmm. yeah. and and it is since we're the only from ones in our family like w- there's no one else who's going to do it for anyone so we're really we have to be on top of everyone's yard sites and everyone's
1: that, that is a job i just want to say that does offer that service
2: Yes, we mm-hmm. know. it's just one of those things where he, you know, he has a connection. yeah, he has right. that connection, and so he he does, you know, he does everything he can to do that, but then he also, you know, will call friends and say, "I'm not going to make it. Can you please, like say for my uh-huh. father-in- law?" you know, he was real about it. It wasn't per- also because we had a newborn. I mean, it was such a crazy time. He was saying cottage, right? it It was wild, but he he did it. He really did such an incredible job, and I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful. So how for long
1: after your father was Nifter was your next little boy born?
2: So I was either four or five months pregnant when my father was Nifter and my husband and my father shared a name. So we weren't able to name directly after him, but my father's name was Mayer. My husband is Mayor Hirsch. So we ended up naming our child Yosef Yair because Yair is like the future tense of Mayer. And I love that idea, like adding, adding light.
1: Yeah, that is you know, really
2: So we went through that and I found I was, and this happens to me a lot in the moment, like at my wedding, I didn't cry at the Leviah. I didn't cry. Like I'm not one of those in the moment. I don't know. I don't, I wouldn't, I don't want to say I'm not an in the moment feeler, but it's just different for me where I felt like I was hovering over my body and watching it all happen. And then I would just, randomly throughout the year, suddenly feel very strong gusts of emotion and like be completely overtaken. And then I would be fine. And I wouldn't even think about it anymore. Right. It's like one of those things where it's so interesting with grief because something like, I'll just go about my life, like a totally normal person. And then all of a sudden I remember like, oh my gosh, I don't have a father anymore. Like, you know, and it just, it just kind of hit like a ton of bricks sometimes. And then other times it was like, okay, yeah, this is, you know, this is how it is. And, and what's also so interesting specifically because of my father's age that he was, you know, he was in his eighties and I, I was born when he was in his fifties. I also had a, an immense amount of gratitude because he and my mother had had a prenuptial agreement that they were not going to have any children. So there, it's that the whole thing is its own Full story, but basically, my mom decided a little while into their marriage that she actually did want to be a mother because she didn't have any children. And my father had children from a previous marriage. And he was like, Good luck, lady. See you later. (laughs) And that was like, it was like off the table. Right. And then, after a bunch of, you know, ridiculous things that happened, my father kind of came around and said, Okay, we'll have a baby. And so, the fact that I even exist to me is a miracle. That's the story in my head is that like, I could not have been here. It would have been very easy for me to not have existed. And like all of the things that came together in order for me to be here now are so incredible. And I'm so grateful that I'm here really <laughs> like that. Oh, nice.
1: Cause you're the only child of his that could really give him, continue to give him a the Shema, right. right? If the other children are not, you know, right. doing anything, any mitzvahs or whatever, then.
2: Yes, and that was actually at the shiva for my husband. The rosh Kolel here in Atlanta came and visited us after everyone was had left. He came with his wife, and I literally remember this like so much. Like it was, it gave me such nakama, I can't even tell you. And this was for my father in law, but like I needed it so much. He said. You are giving your father such an aliyah. He is up in Shemayim and he's seeing that everything that you do is lifting him higher and higher. And he's so proud of you. And he's so happy and grateful. And he's just seeing MS right now. And I, that literally just gave me all of the Nahama in the world. And I remembered that. And he, you know, of course, he came to our Shiva for me as well. And I remember him reiterating that and just reminding myself of that, right? That like I am so blessed to be living this life and to be doing these things for yeah. my father and for his Neshama. And it is, it's an incredible schluss and it's a big responsibility. And does
1: it ever feel too big?
2: So, I definitely have a little bit of like guilt and like, should I be making a CM? Should I be having a thing? Should I be doing this? Should I be doing something? Like, what should I be doing? (laughs) Right. Mm -hmm. Because you feel like also it's like the fixing thing. It's like, what am I going to do? How am I going to make this mean something? How am I going to, you know, bring meaning into it, you know, give him an Aaliyah, all these things. So there's definitely been a little bit of that. And truthfully, like we've just done years where like, I'll get Chinese food and like, I'll go through pictures of him with my kids and we'll just sit and we'll look and we'll talk about him. And I think that's really beautiful and it's really meaningful. And like watching videos of him with my kids. And it was so interesting that my father at the end of his life did very little talking and a lot of singing like anytime someone <laughs> would say a few words, if it reminded him of a song, he would start singing. Wow! And it was like, it was like that purity of the Nishama that just like, he didn't have anything left to say. It was wild. It was really wild. And, and I think also because of my f- husband losing his father, I think he also was really amazing with me when I was going through my time of grief and challenge And I also did a lot, like once again, with the self-care, I I feel very strongly that I have to say this self-care can be taken too far, but it also can be really needed and really valuable. So I'm a yoga teacher. So one of the things that like is really calming for me, like I've been doing yoga since I was 14 was I, when my father was very sick, I was doing a lot of yoga, (laughs) And I was like, maybe I'll make dinner tonight. I'm definitely going to yoga (laughs) because I just have to emotionally survive. Like I have to emotionally survive this. This is a lot. And it's a lot for a mother with a lot of kids and like in the thick of it. And I'm going through all these things and I need a way to move forward and feel taken care of. Right. And then I had my baby and Baruch Hashem. I'm, I'm so grateful because We had an achama both times within a few months that we had two boys. We had two girls. And then my father-in-law passed away. We had a boy. My father passed away. We had another boy. And that Mm -hmm. felt like such a kiss from Hashem. It was such an incredible, incredible gift. And once again, like it went with my story of like Hashem loves me and he takes care of me and I'm blessed. And it was hard And it was not fun, and you know I would never wish it on anyone. But I don't feel damaged by the losses. I think because of the story that I tell myself about the losses, right? That's so nice.
1: You're not saying like you know, oh, I'm good because I'm so much grateful. You're saying it really hurts, but I have so much to be grateful for, Mm -hmm. and I'm not going to let it like damage me. And I think that's really nice.
2: Thank you. Yeah, I think I think it's important because. We have these, you know, these five stages of grief, right? And the last one being meaning. And when we can find meaning in it, when we can find purpose, you know, I think that's such a beautiful, incredible thing. And also when we can see the meaning in our lives and not just like, this is a loss and like, you know, it's not just an end for them. It's an end for me like that. We can also see the bracha in having that person in our lives that we can focus on all of the good we got from them. And we can also be really sad and that's okay too. But it doesn't have to take away from being a blessed person. It doesn't have to take away from living a beautiful life. It doesn't have to take away, right? And we're young. Like, you know, it's like so crazy. My husband and I, like, we'll see people in their 60s who are losing parents. And we're like, what is that like? <laughs> right? It's just not fathomable that like both of their parents are alive and well, nine but like for us, it's just that this is our life and this is our path. And this is a part of it.
1: Do your children ever say, like, why don't we have a grandfather?
2: Oh, yeah, for sure. My five-year-old didn't get to meet either one. And he's so beautiful. And he's very deep and he'll say things like, right, Saba was is probably born again into another family now because like, I told him about the neshamas, and he's like, but he's in another family and he doesn't look the same, right? <laughs> he's like trying to wrap his head around it right. and I show him pictures and I talk about them and my girls who are older will say it's really sad that they don't have a ZD and a Saba and it's very painful. It's painful. It's very painful. Bar Hashem, we have neighbors who have become like family and we call you know, the husband Zaidi. I really do want for my children to have a figure like that in their lives. And my five-year-old will go over and he'll put the wicks in the Neiros for Shabbos. So like he'll give him jobs and he'll help him with digging up his garden. And like they just have that very special relationship, Baruch Hashem. And I want my kids to have special relationships with men who are older, who can have that type of influence and can be that. Even if it's not a full Zadie experience. It's something because it is, it's very sad for me that my children don't get grandfathers.
1: Yeah. 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 It's sad for me that my children don't have grandparents from my side. (laughs)
2: Right. Right. It's very painful because it's like, they're missing this whole world. My Father in law was like incredible at calligraphy, and he made the most beautiful cakes you could imagine for my daughter's second birthday. He made her this incredible cake, and like we still talk about it, right. And my father was Mr. Fix-It and he taught me to solder and weld. And he taught me about how things work. I remember I had a book called The Way Things Work or something like that. And I hid it in my basement because I didn't want my father to teach me anything else about how stuff worked because it was so boring. And now I'm just plotting for him to come and teach us how to fix this or that and take care of this or that. And it's really like missing a whole world in our lives because they offered things, each one of them, that are irreplaceable. And it is sorely, sorely missed.
1: It's sorely missed and it's gonna always be missed. You know, as really? time pain probably lessens a little bit, but it, sure. it just, it's gonna hurt. It just always will. The whole. Yeah, yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. Right. And my Robinson just gave a class. She was talking about Kaddish and what Kaddish does and how each of us has like our own spark of holiness that we bring into the world, that we all have our job and we all have this like bright light that we bring into the world. And she said, Kaddish is filling that void that that person left. That when a person leaves this world, that Kaddish is literally filling that void for us and constantly like just bringing us back that light that they brought into the world is not anything that anyone else could bring. And that like our world is lesser because of it. And so when we say Kaddish, we're trying to, we're trying to keep that light alive, really that they brought into this world. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. I thought that was really beautiful way of saying it. Right. I, I had never heard that before.
1: Right. I, I wonder if that's like a real thing or it's a, like a feeling thing that she's kind of just, I, I don't know.
2: Yeah, I'll ask her if she has a, No, if it's like from one of the Mfarshim or something. Yeah, like, if she, she has a Makor, I'll definitely yeah, yeah. Touch As, about that. But
1: when I did my research on Kaddish, it was more that when we say Kaddish and everyone answers Yehishmei it's it creates such a tremendous Kiddush Hashem mm-hmm. that it's giving the person a Leah,
2: Right yeah I'll definitely find out and tell you but I like for me that like I thought that was beautiful and that's exactly what you said is what I had heard and which made sense to me but just like with everything you know Kaliakar says one thing uncle says another thing and like they can be totally you know like disparate like they're on different planets right I'll ask her where that's from let
1: me ask you another question like after your father was mister did you ever feel like towards your husband like I supported you. Why can't you support me? Or he also knew how to like support you or you were able to tell him what you need and then he was able to do it.
2: You know, it's such a good question. And I don't remember that specifically. It's very possible that it happened. And I think it's, if if that happens, that's okay too. Right. And that expectations breed frustration. That's really, unfortunately how it works. Right. And all that I can remember is that I felt supported and loved. And, you know, like, of course he and I had our issues, but we also had a baby and there was like so much going on. Like the fact that I can't remember that year does make sense because I didn't sleep most of that year, right?
1: Like Because nice. nice.
2: I had a newborn. But I do believe that our job when someone we love is grieving is to figure out what that job is and the love and the support and the space. And, when we're the one grieving and the other person is not meeting our expectations, then I think in a lot of ways we can learn to ask. We can like and ask and either receive or not receive because there are some people who are capable of giving what it is that we ask for. And there are people who are not for whatever reason, whatever it is that they're going through or whoever it is that they are. So we can always ask. And then if we ask and it's not given then it's important for us to look for what we need in a healthy way elsewhere.
1: Right,
2: right. Right, having a close friend to confide in, having a rabbi or a revetson, having, right? When the people in our lives cannot fill a hole within us, it's so nice when they can, and it's such a bracha when they can, but sometimes they can't. And so that is where we need to know ourselves and to know what we need and figure out how can I start to fill that void that this person is not able to, for whatever reason, fill for me. Right.
1: right. Like if he is my spouse, if she is my spouse, then this is what they should give me. And what do you mean let go? I don't want to let go. This is what makes sense.
2: Exactly. But sometimes, you know, sometimes they're just not capable of delivering on what it is that we believe that we need. And that can be very painful. And It also can be an opportunity to work on the relationship, to figure out how to ask for things in a way that gives them space to try and mess up and be imperfect, right? But also to think for ourselves, like if I'm needing more love and attention right now, if I'm needing this, if I'm needing this, then how can I use the life that I have, the people that I have in my life that like besides them to also move towards wholeness?
1: Right, right.
2: Yeah.
1: Okay. Amazing. Amazing. I think you gave over so many important tips, so many good ideas, anything that we like missed.
2: I mean, I think it's just the balance, right? It's like recognizing the story that you're telling yourself, but also allowing yourself to grieve, right? Like that. It's not about like whitewashing the situation with the story, that's not what it's about. I think that's right. the important thing is we don't want to say like, oh, it's fine. Everything's fine. Cause I'm so blessed and everything's fine. And dah, dah, dah. like, that's not what I'm talking about to make that clarification that like, we can tell ourselves a story that like, we are blessed and to have the time we had with them and all these things. And we can still be sad and we can feel two conflicting things at the very same moment. And I think that's like a very, very important thing that we can feel so grateful and we can feel so sad at the same time.
1: Right. I think that when you let yourself also really feel the grief and feel the sadness and feel the pain and not just whitewash it, but really feel it, then that's the only way you could also really feel true happiness. Because if you're letting yourself feel the sadness, you're also not feeling the true joy. And when, you know, your child gets married or you make a bar mitzvah or you have a baby, whatever it is, like you want to be able to feel that true
2: joy. Yes. Yes. 100%. That other side is called savoring, right? You want to savor the moment. You want to savor that beautiful experience. And in a weird way, we also have to savor the negative that like, if we're not afraid of feeling it and we can just sit with it and we can allow that intense grief to permeate and to really feel it instead of to go to the the food cupboard or go to the scrolling on the phone or to whatever it is that our crutches, right? If we can really, really feel deeply We can feel both. We can feel both sides of the spectrum. And that is such a bracha. And that's what our life is about, right? It's both. There's the beauty and the joy, and there's the sadness and the grief. And you can't have one without the other. You can't have love without having the pain of the separation, right? You can't have freedom like Pesach, right? You can't have that freedom without having first had that slavery. Like you have to have both in either to have one if you want to feel that joy. There has to be that sadness, too.
1: Hey, well, thank you so, so much for coming in. I really appreciate it. And your mother should continue to be healthy. I
2: mean, I mean, I mean, thank you.
0: You have just listened to an episode by Mrs. Miriam Ribiet. For more episodes or for additional information about future episodes, visit our website at www.hevralamdemishna.org or email mribiat at chevralomdemishna.org. To submit questions or comments for this speaker, to suggest another speaker who might be mechazek others, or to sponsor a podcast, visit chevralomdemishna.org forward slash podcast.